Hey there, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. The other day, I was scrolling Instagram, as one does, and came across a video from my colleague, Matthias Barker. Now, Matthias has a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. He's been formally trained in treating trauma, anxiety, and marital issues. And in this video, he was sharing some data. Maybe this is data you've heard of before. Have you heard that many couples after becoming parents actually have a decrease in partner satisfaction? Now, in this video, he shares that data and says, hey, yeah, makes sense. If you ask somebody who is in the trenches of just becoming a parent that postpartum year, and you say, hey, does life feel more stressful between the two of you right now? They're probably going to say, yeah, right? Like you're sleep deprived. So many things have changed, less time for each other. It makes sense. In this video though, he asks us to zoom out. And as we look at the longevity of our partner relationship, what does this mean for our partner relationship, becoming parents together? And what I really wanted to do was to zoom back in with Matthias and ask him, while we're in the trenches, what can we do to find each other again, feel connected while we're going through it? What's really special is that Matthias is in it right now. He has a young child, his wife is expecting, and so I was able to ask him really specific questions. Questions such as, how did you and your wife navigate sleep deprivation as a couple so that the two of you could get rest, so that the two of you could have space for each other and just find each other again in the midst of all the chaos of early parenthood? So I'm so thrilled that you're tuning in. I have a feeling that you're going to walk away learning so much and feeling like you have some tangible steps that you can take to reach out to your partner while you're in the trenches while also looking at the big picture together. And I think that by the end of this episode, you might be inspired to suggest your partner listen to this episode as well. Or maybe you pause and you guys listen to this together. All right, I'm so glad you're tuning in. Let's get to it. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a mom to three and licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm really glad that you took the time to hold space for you by tuning in to today's episode. My hope with this podcast is to share conversations with experts from around the world and parents who've been through it so that maybe you feel a little less alone in your experiences and the messy side of being a parent and being a human and so that you can walk away with supportive steps for what to do next. Listening to this episode is not a substitute for seeking support from a professional in your area. I believe that holding space and offering presence to both ourselves and others is truly one of the most meaningful ways that we can express care. And you are so deserving of that care. All right, are you ready? Let's dive in. I'm so excited to connect with you. I first found you on TikTok, I believe. 
the amazing videos that you share over there. And then I was like, where is this guy on Instagram, you know? So I went over and found you <laughs> over on Instagram. Our mutual friend Liz invited both of us to do uh, some workshops for couples a few months back. And it's just been really a joy to get to know you through the digital space. And now to get a chance to actually talk in real time, which oftentimes yeah. does not happen with these digital connections. And I'm really excited to, to chat with you today and to to dive in. So thanks for Aww. taking the time. Thank you. Yeah, just an honor. That's that's so great. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we got to do a workshop a little while back, and I think we just kind of loosely crossed paths. So this is fun to get to connect with you more formally, like, and actually have a full conversation. I've been following you <laughs> yeah. back for a while. So um, yeah, really love the content you've been creating as well and the workshops. And um, yeah, just feel like we're both in the trenches together trying to help. And so it's exciting to talk. Okay. Well, I'm really excited for our topic today. Before we dive in, I think it's always really nice for the listener to get to know you. Maybe they already follow you, but that's just, they just get little glimpses here and there. Um, so I'd love yeah. for you to have a chance to introduce yourself and share who you are, what lights you up, um, this topic mm -hmm. here about partner relationships after baby, why is this of mm -hmm. interest to you? <laughs> so maybe you can just <laughs> yeah. Yeah, share a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a psychotherapist here in Spokane, Washington. Um, and yeah, we, uh, I don't know, we're, this topic in particular around kind of, okay, babies after marriage came into view for me for like, uh, maybe like a year, two years ago. Um, I have an 11th month old daughter. And so, um, yeah, we, we just kind of went through that experience. And, and then I think just like any couple are wanting to look around for resources around how to really guard your relationship and your marriage through a huge transition and being a therapist, I'm not immune to any of that. So, um, yeah, it was just like, oh, well, luckily I know the people who are writing in the field. I know which books to buy. I just, you know, they're actually, I had the book. It was just sitting on my shelf from school and I just never picked it up. And so I was just like, oh, I'm going to read some of the Gottmans and I'm going to read like these, you know, psycho um, psychiatrists, psychologists, sorry, that have spent their life, you know, long careers trying to help couples, you know, wade through different life transitions. And I just get to like read that up in a few hours, their whole life's work, like score. So I just like, I think I got um, real academic with it and just kind of dove into the weeds of like, okay, what are the factors that that help um, when you're going through that transition of bringing kids into a relationship? Uh, what are the things that are deterrents? And so, I mean, as a, as a couples therapist too, I just, I've, I've waded through that um, somewhat with my couples, but just through I just, just through circumstance, that hasn't been something that really came up um, at that, right when I started like studying it, that wasn't a particular transition that came up just in the life of my mm -hmm. clients. Again, just by happenstance, I guess, like all sorts of things come up in therapy, but that hadn't been um, a focus in my practice. So I kind of went in with uh, a fresh set of eyes and just trying to learn and, and then put all those insights into practice. And then um, I guess also just by circumstance, had some clients that were going through a similar transition like six months after I really started digging into it. And so that made the whole experience really rich too, to explore those ideas through my life, to explore them through my client's life. Mm -hmm. And, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a meaningful topic. How, how do you stay happy <laughs> with your partner um, when you're stressed, when you're low on sleep? And, yeah. and maybe to people who don't know or, or kind of listening that perhaps don't have kids, it'd be like, well, why would that create a stressor? Isn't just kind of growing your family like a positive thing. And mm. And it's like, well, yeah, I, it, it is a positive thing. It's like the good comes along with the stress in the same 
package. And yeah, I guess we'll dive into all that today. But that's that's a little bit about me, my experience with the topic and why it's important to me. It's it's real life. Oh my gosh, I can relate. We had our first, so we have a 10 and a half year old and the half is important, you know, she's almost 11 and seven and a half year old and one and a half year old. And so my husband and I, we've been together since high school. We Mm. got married. We had our first 10 and a half years ago. And I was a, I had just finished graduate school, my master's. um, And so I was a marriage and family therapist. Like I had done training. I I knew some of the data, you know, that, Mm -hmm. okay, like, you know, when you get, when you, when when partners have children, that partner satisfaction really goes down around that time. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So like the registry, (laughs) we got to like, you know, (laughs) do the, get the nursery going, um, take a birth class and, you know, thank goodness because birth is really freaking intense. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a big thing to prepare for. And then they handed us this baby and, I was like, whoa, wait, what? Like we mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't really prepare for all the yeah. things. I almost um one of my one of my colleagues, I don't know if you follow her work, uh, Dr. Becky at Good Inside. Um, mm-hmm. and she has this, she talks about family jobs and like our jobs as parents is like to be sturdy leaders in our home. And like I think it's important, you know, for many of us, we have a co-pilot. And mm-hmm. She also has this metaphor of like you're yeah you're the pilot the sturdy leader pilot of your family and when there's turbulence mm-hmm. like how you show up as a sturdy leader, but I think you know if you're if you're in your first year of this role so it's like someone comes and says all right hey you're 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 a pilot now um, be a sturdy leader here's your co-pilot you guys are gonna you guys are doing this together um, but oh, a couple things in the job description for this first year of your job that I forgot to mention. Your job is day and night, so you're going to be sleep deprived, and you're going to be trying to figure out how to communicate with each other while also sleep deprived. Um, you know, like, there's also going to be, um, you know, one of you is maybe just gave birth, and you're healing from from all that. You may be also navigating being a food source. Uh, you're also, you know, yeah. you're also both yeah. at risk for depression and anxiety, um, and you know. But good luck, you know, you go, you're, you, you know, it goes by fast, so enjoy it. <laughs> it's like, wait, yeah, yeah. wait, what? Oh, and also, like, you're going to have a lot less time to, like, connect with each other and for yeah. yourself. But, you know, it goes by fast, so so enjoy every moment. And it's like, whoa, this is it's, – it's, it's a lot. So there's the data. And I love that because I'm the same way that you were like, I'm going to approach this as, like – from a very academic sort of stance. I'm going to read the books. I'm going to bring out my highlighter. I'm going to learn the things. Um, And what we learn is that there are these risk factors, protective factors. And for most couples, having a child impacts your, you know, satisfaction, your life satisfaction. It increases stress, your partner satisfaction. So... Then you get in it, and it's like I could have. I, even if I've read the things, even if I people talk about this stuff, when you're in the trenches, it's really hard to kind of, I don't know, access some of that sometimes, or to kind of zoom out, look at big picture stuff. You have an Instagram video where you kind of talk about this, and you you kind of share this idea of you know 
that data and asking mm-hmm. folks, you know, how satisfied are you right now while you're in the trenches? And then this idea of zooming out. Could you share with us a little bit about that? Yeah. And maybe we can dive deeper. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the interesting part. Cause I think I took on in that video, I took on the question, do kids make you happy? And, mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a lot of kind of sound bites and clips and TikToks and Instagram saying, actually, Hey, the data shows kids don't make you happy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of that is trying to destigmatize um, couples or individuals that choose not to have kids and just that that's a valid life choice. And that I think yeah. there's some shame around choosing not to have kids and like that's selfish. And so there's, there's a lot of, I think, conversation really trying hard to, to let each kind of life choice, life pattern, you know, have its own um, voice without, you know, stigmatizing. But in the process of that, I think there was a simplistic um, uh, presentation of the data. And that's maybe what I was in that video trying to kind of round out because they're saying, hey, look, the data says kids don't make you happy. And well, that's it's a complex thing to conclude because happiness, the way we measure happiness is actually kind of complex because you could say, all right, well, what is happiness? Maybe happiness is the is the experiential like combination of um, positive emotion. Yeah, we call that valence in, in the psych world. Positive emotion, and then also maybe like a heightened, you know, or like at peace um, when it comes to your arousal state. So maybe you're excited in high arousal states, and then you're at peace, you're at calm in low arousal states, and all of that's positive valence. All of that is really, really good and warm and fuzzy. Now, if you gave someone a beeper. And you said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to send you a message like four or five times a day at random times. And then every time that beeper goes off, you need to rate on a scale of one to 10. How happy are you? Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) if you would give that to a young parent Mm -hmm. with like a four month old or not even like a two week old, whatever. And, and that beeper was just going off and they're have to rate in that moment, how happy they are. You would see if you were to compare that to how they were rating that beeper, um, you know, a couple months before the baby was here very, very different data set that yeah. they would they would be stressed more often. They would be um, tired more often, like we're saying. Uh, I don't know. And, and I guess it depends a little bit on your baby and your relationship and your circumstances. So it's not across the board, a terrible experience. That's yeah. not what we're saying. But just um, but there's there's a difference between, oh, I can go to a movie anytime I want. I can eat out anytime I want. I can uh, watch TV. I can take a nap on a Saturday afternoon and then not watch the clock. You know. Um, all those things. It's just a different style of life. And so that means that how you'd rate that happiness beeper changes. But when you ask someone to remember back on the event, Mm. so, you know, ask them, you know, when the kids are up and out of the house, perhaps, um, did that contribute to your happiness? Vast majority of people say yes. And Mm. so there's two different ways that we measure happiness. There's the way there's like the pleasure in the moment. And then there's, you know, and Paul Bloom talks about this, um, a professor out of Yale, a psychologist out of Yale. And he, he would say that it's not just enough for us to experience pleasure. We actually need to experience the good life. Like we need to experience mm-hmm. good things in the contexts of the things we consider to be good is mm-hmm. one way of, of putting it. Like it has, to, it has to resonate with our values. And then also something interesting about the Bieber test is once kids are actually out of kind of the toddler stage, the Bieber test goes up in satisfaction as well. So, you know, it turns out sleep has a lot to do with it. So when I say, oh, do kids make you happy? Maybe a better question is, is getting enough sleep make you happy? Um, (laughs) Because that's maybe a bit more accurate um, 
of a, of a factor to be watching. And, and like uh, you also mentioned the toddler stage and like after toddler stage. So I think maybe also like does does navigating a relationship with someone who has the cognitive ability to like communicate with you yeah, um, yeah. and and have and has that kind of brain development like is it's does it make you happy happier when like they can <laughs> like maybe you know because right. oh yeah. yeah and there's there's so much there's so much goodness in the newborn stage and the baby stage and the toddler stage, but like the level of stress as you're navigating that transition individually and relationally. Yeah. I would be like, if you were mm-hmm. asking me to put a beeper on, like just throughout my day yesterday at home with my toddler mm-hmm. and when my partner came home and then when the older kids came home, like lots mm-hmm. of, lots of moments where I'd be like, uh, not, not doing so good in this moment. Like yeah, this is stressful. Ten, this is yeah. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what's interesting, so the Gottmans went a step further and they said, are there protective factors that would actually increase people's felt sense of satisfaction, even in the toddler stage, even in the lack of sleep? Are there things mm-hmm. that couples were doing or factors um, in their relationship that were protective against that 30% or so dip that, that parents usually experience? And so you could say in one sense, in the broad scale of things, um, people experience a dip in life satisfaction in the early stages of parenting, and then it kind of goes up and up and up. And then when kids are out of the house, they remember the experience really positively. But if we wanted to zoom mm-hmm. in a little bit further and get even more specific, we could say, okay, does that mean I just have to resign to hating my life for like four, five, ten years as the kids are small? Like, no, of course not. Like, there's things you can do in your relationship that actually um, improve your quality of life as well. Yeah. One of those things um, – is this idea of being able to be in it and rather than seeing us against each other, right, which mm, so mm-hmm. often happens in <laughs> nothing's ever that pretty in the middle of the night when we're trying to decide, like, you know, who's who's going to do what um, when the baby's up. Mm-hmm. But to be able to see the perspective of us together, like, I think the Gottman's call it, like we're in the same soup, I think is what the language mm-hmm. that they use. Mm-hmm. Like we, we're in this together. It's us kind of like looking out at the stress or the hardship of this season rather than me against you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'll sometimes have an individual, if, it, if I am just working with an individual, but partner relationship is a challenge or a couple is to actually have them, and so the listener can do this as well as you're listening, um, imagine a recent argument. And imagining that recent argument, I really want you to kind of picture like the worst part of it, right? And kind of give us like a still shot. I don't know. Was this like in Save by the Bell back in the day where they would like free screen and like then somebody's kind of like walking around and like talking about like that moment? Um, I don't know if you watched mm-hmm. Save by the Bell back in the day, but that's kind of like <laughs> what comes to mind. So you kind of freeze that moment and now you can kind of be like an observer of that moment between you and your partner. And you're probably facing each other, upset. There's a lot of feelings going on. Um, I, I really like this idea of kind of tuning into this moment as like a really curious detective of like what was going on for you in that moment? What were you feeling? What did you need? What was showing up in your body? Um, what were some of the urges that maybe, you know, were hard to mm. regulate in that moment? Um, what's your most generous interpretation of your partner in that moment? And then I, there's more, there's more that kind of goes into that as we kind of work through it together. But this, then there's this moment of asking, okay, we can, we can shift things in this picture if we were able to, and you were to go into that image. What if you were to shift 
the posturing. So instead of the two of you, like, you know, fingers pointing at each other, upset with each other, yelling, if you were to shift it to shoulder to shoulder, and now the two of you are gazing out at the cycle, the hardship, the the season, the, the soup, that you know, that's what the Gottmans call it, that you're kind of like just swimming in right now. How does that shift things? And I don't know. I'd love to hear your kind of thoughts on this idea of like how how do we do, would you agree that that's a kind of protective factor and something that's important in terms of this season of being able to make that shift? And how do we how in the world do we get there? Like how do we get into this place yeah. of feeling like we're actually on the same team um, amidst all of what feels like muck sometimes, like in the trenches? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's so well put. Yeah, I love their their word picture there being in the soup the the metaphor i usually use is it's like we want to kick a soccer ball back and forth not each other back and forth Mm. and like if the problem is the soccer ball (laughs) you know like it's us against the problem not us against each other and it's uh it's hard though because i don't know we just get protective when we're in pain and when we're suffering and it's really hard to extend that trust that we're really both after the same thing here like we're really both and, and that's that's a hard thing to suspend in, in mental space is even when we're arguing, even when it feels like they're misunderstanding me, they're undervaluing me, they're not understanding what I'm going through. They, they, um, yeah, they, they aren't seeing how hard this is for me. They're being mm. dismissive of me, whatever to hold in space. We're both after the same thing that if I were really to depress them, I bet they actually want me to feel okay right now too. I bet if they just had their yeah. way, if they could just pick that they would actually prefer that I'm in a good mental space that I feel supported that I feel positive, that I feel warm and, and comforted or, or seen for all the hard work that I've been doing, seen for all the things that I've been doing. I, I think uh, the common mental space for, you know, um, the supporting partner, you know, in the relationship, maybe from the person who gave birth is, is like, I'm doing a lot too, but I didn't go through birth. And so my problems don't matter or my, you know, mm. stuff doesn't, isn't as important or someone who's going through postpartum. And then the supporting partner is like, Hey, I actually am having a whole you know, emotional reaction to all of this too, but I don't have space for that because I got to support you. And it's like, we get into mm. almost this positioning where yeah, it's, it's, it's us, you know, or me versus you, my needs versus your needs. Only one of our needs can be satisfied only t- at a time. Only one of our experiences of pain can be empathized with at a time. Mm. And what does it look like as you're saying to shift to shoulder to shoulder and say, mm. you know, I bet if, if we really could get under the surface, you, you really want me to feel okay right now too. Mm. Um, and starting from that point is going to be so much more beneficial than starting from a point that the Gottmans call it contempt, where I'm assuming mm. ill intent. I'm assuming that you're selfish, that you're, I'm assuming that you just don't care, that you just don't see me, that you just this, that you don't that. And then we lead from that uh, place of resentment. Oof. We lead yeah. from that place of anger, um, of defensiveness then that's going to inspire and arouse defensiveness in our partners. And then we're caught up in a blame game and a game of keeping score that is going to leave us both feeling isolated and lonely. Mm. What comes up for you in that? What do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of, uh, I'm just reflecting on our own first postpartum experience where my husband experienced postpartum depression and we didn't know that's, was a, was a thing at the time. We didn't have a name for it. It was, I just, mm-hmm. we, he just knew he was struggling and I just knew I felt like I was holding, holding a lot. Um, and, and, ha- and having my own anxiety postpartum as well. And it's, 
interesting at the time. I knew about postpartum depression in the birthing person, um, and I was screened for it, luckily. He wasn't screened mm-hmm. for postpartum depression. Um, I wasn't screened for postpartum anxiety. So it's like, mm-hmm. all right, we got, you know, like just just missed, just fell through the cracks mm-hmm. there. And it was, it was really, it was really hard to find that positioning of mm-hmm. shoulder to shoulder. And like even just like the the sense of what it would actually feel like to be able to lean on his shoulder and for him to be able to lean on mine in that kind of image just feels so comforting. And I think we both, we both just so desperately wanted to feel seen um, Mm. and wanted to be held, but it's so hard, Matthias, when you Mm. are sleep deprived and living your life in these like you know, at that season, um, like two hour increments and Mm -hmm. making all these decisions. Um, and yeah, I mean, it took us a while to get support too. I Mm -hmm. think that that whole experience has become my muse for why I try to have Mm -hmm. the conversations that I have now that those like wounds have healed up and they're just, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the scars we carry from that experience, but it's, um, I think that the more and more that we can name some of these things and then not just name it so people are like, oh, okay, it's not just us. Because so much of this just happens behind closed doors and people just carry the mm-hmm. the shame of like brokenness, right, which just keeps us more and more um, mm-hmm. like festered inside, <laughs> like no one can see yeah, this, that, that this yeah. is thing we're, that's, that, that we're going through while we're, you know, bringing this life into the world. Um but then also to give people like something to start with, you know, and, and what I'm hearing you say here is being able to, it's kind of, kind of the same idea of like this, the most generous interpretation of like, may, I, I think that maybe my partner does want me to mm-hmm. be well and to mm-hmm. be happy. And and I, I can access it within myself if, you know, underneath the anger that I actually want that for them too. And if I can go into this conversation about something I'm feeling, overwhelmed, hurt, you know, sad, scared, mm-hmm. I'm able to go into that conversation with that in mind, then there might be a, what they would call more gentle startup into that dialogue. Yeah. And if I, if I open awesome. with that gentleness, right, with that vulnerability, that's that's a risk because what if they have all their armor on and they shoot a dart at me and I'm all open and vulnerable? Well, maybe that's a risk worth taking because mm-hmm. it's a meaningful one and is more likely to be met with someone putting down putting down the armor um, mm-hmm. and maybe yeah, meeting so me well too said. with their vulnerability, right? Yeah, oh, mm. I love that. Julie Gottman says something similar. So Julie. Um, she spent most of her career working um, with women who had been through domestic uh, violence. And so she really, when constructing the Gottman method and this model and all the stuff we're talking about, she had in mind, you know, not just a couple that are trying to be supportive and going through a hard time, you know, like, but even couples where there's histories and patterns of dysfunction and unsafety and anger and addiction. And I can just imagine someone listening to all this and being like, 
that sounds nice. And you're like cherry blossom of a relationship, you know, mm. therapists over there trying to be all supportive, but <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, maybe in my relationship, if you heard mm. what he said to me, if you heard, mm. if you got to see her mood on the regular, you would know it's not shoulder to shoulder. It's something very different. Mm. And yeah. <clears throat> I mean, just Thanks as a general response. Yeah. I mean, just as a general response to that, I think Julie, you know, in with the full breadth of, of spending her career in that situation would say like, yeah. there's almost a pragmatic case you can make that when you respond to someone as if they, on, on the predication that they want to be trusted, they want to be seen, if they had their way, they would prefer that both of you flourish. You're going to get mm-hmm. better results than if you go into the conversation assuming the opposite. Even in cases yeah. of extreme violence or extreme mm-hmm. abuse and stuff like that. And I've, I've worked in similar kind of social service agencies where that was very much a part of the culture of the marriage relationships we're trying, trying to work yeah. with, with some exceptions of, you know, the Gottmans would demarcate their certain circumstances where it's just vindictive tyranny in the sense of um, where someone's genuinely unsafe and needs to escape the relationship and that the right. best move for them would be to actually separate. But for two, in this circumstance, for two people that willingly and both consensually want to work on a relationship even though yes. there's been a history of violence perhaps mutual perhaps one-sided even in circumstances that complex there is there is utility in coming towards the other person gently and coming mm. with not not pretending and in, in making things up and making excuses for him but just a very almost like foundational philosophical underlying belief of i bet if they could just pick that mm. if, if we could ma- wave a magic wand in this relationship, that they they don't want me to suffer, and that they mm. would if if they could just pick that we could work this out mutually. And if you approach him with that, like, hey, I know, I know that you don't want this any more than I do. I know that you don't want this dress any more than I do. I know that mm. I know this is hard for you, just as it's hard for me. I know that you don't want it. Da, 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 da. Like the warmth and then the walls that can bring down, like you know, like we've said, it's not a fix all. It's not gonna be a snap of your finger and then you're in this cherry blossom relationship it's but it's the path forward and that was something that they really found to be a protective factor and like when we're talking about this 30 percent dip that on average that couples Mm -hmm. you know go through in their relationship satisfaction one of the protective factors was do they know how to come towards each other gently Mm -hmm. with some warmth with some goodwill Mm -hmm. and maybe we have all the excuses and reasons in the world not to offer it um i'm not I'm not pretending that people don't go through trauma and, and hard things. Yeah. But even in those cases, extending as much goodwill as is feasible for your context is yeah. going to have utility in bringing you both closer together. I don't know. How do you how do you think through that? Yeah. No. It. I. I really. I really appreciate you naming that piece um, because I do think a lot of times, a lot of the things that you, we can offer in this sort of context, whether it's social media or these short videos or these podcast episodes, mm-hmm. like a lot of times we want to – I know I feel the pull. Like I want to give someone like the strategy and the tip and the tool and to kind of draw out how that will look, you know, like try this and then this this could happen, you know, like it's mm-hmm. going to be good stuff. Um, and what I really appreciate you did there was like naming the experience of the listener who's like, yeah, but like – it's real rough, like behind closed doors, mm-hmm. you know, for us here. And the idea, the idea of this, like approaching my partner with this, like gentle, kind of initiation, um, and and really accessing both my interpretation of their like 
inner goodness and like desire mm-hmm. for me to not suffer and also my own inner goodness. Mm, there's a lot of stuff that comes up around that that feels really tricky. Um, and I think even just naming that and then naming that like the gentle, the gentle startup is still, still has so much value. Um, mm-hmm even though it's hard, right? Like Mm -hmm. so much value, but being able to name that maybe the listener is acknowledging to themselves. There's, there's other stuff here that really gets in the way of me being able to do that. And, and maybe, maybe this is something that I deserve to better understand Mm -hmm. um, because it was named. And this is, it means that this stuff is for me too, for us too, but it was named mm-hmm. and maybe I, I got to do some other work here to better understand what is coming up for me, right? My own oh, stuff, my own yeah. trauma, um, the the hurts, the the things in the relationship that feel really broken that we really got to, mm-hmm. we really need to find ways to repair with each other um, and maybe, maybe with support, you know? So yeah, I really appreciate mm-hmm. you naming that. I think when this idea of like gentle, right? Like, I don't think anything feels really gentle to me when I'm when I'm in the throes of postpartum. My youngest is one and a half right now, so she's sleeping through the night and it just feels like a different life <laughs> um, mm-hmm. than especially that fourth trimester and just like when you're really in it. Everything is rougher on the edges when you're sleep deprived. I mean, it actually impacts – your brain, um, your ability to communicate effectively. And yeah, I, I'm so curious because I'm always curious, like behind closed doors, like Matthias, you, you and your wife, like how did you guys navigate like things that are as foundational as getting enough sleep so that you can Mm -hmm. have a gentle startup in your conversations? Like how did you guys kind of divvy up these responsibilities so that you both could be taking care of yourselves in the midst of, you know, all of it. Yeah. Well, one of the the biggest predictors of relational satisfaction, personal mental health, one of the biggest protectors against postpartum um, that they found in the studies was community support. Mm. And, yeah. and so I think Paige and I um, are, we're, we're fortunate that my, my parents live close by. We have a really trusting relationship with my parents. That's not that's not a, you know, not everyone has that kind of good fortune, but yeah. I think that we really had intentional conversations with our parents um, around what does it look like if when you were kind of having, you know, me as a kid, mom and dad, what was the support you wish you had? And what were the things that would have made a difference? So I'm almost collecting data from my friends around like, I don't know mm. what I'm going to be in for. I don't know what having a kid's going to be like or what I'm going to need. And my parents really just had like an open door policy of like, you can drop her off whenever you want. We can come over whenever you want if you need you need sleep. And so um, Paige's mom, we have a great relationship with Paige's family too. And uh, so Paige's mom flew up for that first two weeks and me and um, Penny, Paige's mom, took turns uh, sleeping um, every other night. And then and then one of us would stay with Paige. And then essentially mm-hmm. like kind of the, the arrangement we had was, um, I would do it, like every time baby got up and cried, I would get up, I would change the diaper, I would get everything mm-hmm. ready, I would hand baby to mom so mom can essentially just roll over, um, yep. <laughs> you know, um, feed baby, <laughs> go back to sleep. And so there was this, it really was this team sport of mm-hmm. making sure this kid got through the night, uh, you know, in a pleasant way. And and so it's it's exhausting for both of us, but also noting, like I think Penny was just like, hey, let me take a turn 
we'll we'll alternate for this first week as we're kind of getting our ground so that you can because if you're well slept then you're going to be a great support for her you're going to be more attentive to the baby it's going to be all the way around thing and it was just a luxury that's not something i was owed that's not something that like you know everyone has access to and i'm sure there's people yeah. listening to be like well that would be a freaking dream and, and it was hard for me to even like accept that because being the supportive partner i'm just like oh i'm not the one who needs attending i'm not the one who needs the support she's my wife is the one who support she's the one who just birthed a child but then my parents having the wisdom and intuition is like actually the best thing for Paige is that Matthias is okay too, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like that, that he's uh that he's mentally sturdy as well. So I think there was a it really was a team sport, especially for those first few weeks between my parents, Paige's mom coming and helping with some of the sleep stuff. My mom cooked tons of meals, um, you know, and I just I know that not everyone is in the same sort of fortunate mm-hmm. position. But that was that was a huge supportive factor. It doesn't surprise me that the data showed that because I'm like, yeah, gosh, I the the prospect of being a single mother, I think, hit me in a really strong way and just opened up um, a grief in the single mothers within like my church community and within my my circle. Mm. Just like, wow, I just had no idea what you were going through. And it yeah, it, it chokes me up now just thinking of like, I, I want to be a part of the community structure for other people. Cause maybe you don't have family. Maybe you don't have family that you trust. Maybe that you don't have family nearby having yeah. some sort of community network, whether through friends, um, through something like a religious community, through something like a, um, there's support groups, even that, that form like on through Facebook groups, where it's just it's like, Oh, okay. I don't have this big group of friends. I'm kind of introverted. Turns out there's like nonprofits that'll come and, and like come alongside mm-hmm. and, and bring diapers and provide child support, mm-hmm. like to give yourself permission to not mm. have to do it all by yourself, to give yourself mm. permission to acknowledge how hard it is. And instead of being like, well, that's just my lot, being like, I wonder mm. if there's opportunities that could be supportive. I wonder if there's ways, there's resources that I can use and allowing yourself to acknowledge your need and then to whatever resources are available to you, whether that's through like a government agency, whether that's through personal connections, whether that's through family, to let that in. Mm. That is a crucial, I think, like, Oh, if anyone yeah. were to take anything away from this whole podcast, yes, um, <laughs> surround yourself with whatever means are around you, and even if it's like chat boards, even if it's a chat board, like, like let's say, okay, I don't. Maybe you are hearing this from a country where there's not like social services where that's allowed mm-hmm. or something. There's there's online chat boards just supporting mothers, and yeah. where people just get to share their stories, um, fathers trading tips on what to do here and there. So. I would um, yeah, highly, highly recommend the community aspect. That was the number one factor, I think, in the Gottman yeah. data that made the difference. What was your experience with yeah. that? Yeah. And you said if, if, if you take anything from this podcast episode, and I say from like my entire podcast, like here, like here, here's the, here's the takeaway, <laughs> like social, social mm-hmm. support. And um, it's, it's as human beings, like we're social, we're social beings. Like we, we need community. We need relationships um, to survive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those those times where I think, unfortunately, over the years, uh, at least especially here in the U.S., the me- message has been like, do it on your own. Um, and if you don't do it on your own, somehow you're an imposter. You're not doing it right, or like you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I don't think we were ever meant to do this alone. A couple things that you said that just really, really stuck out to me. This, the first, this, one of the first things you said was like, you asked your parents, what, 
when you look back on like when you had us, like what did you need? And the reason why that really struck me is I don't think that we oftentimes start the conversation that way around like the role of grandparents in our lives and social support, mm-hmm. um, family support. And I think that sometimes it's really hard for somebody for a, for somebody who hasn't been in it for so long to recall like mm-hmm. what how hard it was. Um, and you know, I've I've heard unfortunate situations where you know someone heard from a parent like, well, we didn't have postpartum depression in my day. Like we didn't mm-hmm. have these things. And it's like okay, like maybe maybe those things weren't weren't talked about back then, and there wasn't that support. But like when you look back on it. What do you feel like would have been really helpful? And I think it kind of helps. Yes, you learn, right? Because maybe mm-hmm. your parent has all these, you know, beautiful things to offer. Um, but also, maybe it puts them in a position of that kind of reflection of mm-hmm. what, like, thinking back on it, the parts that I can recall, like, what would have been helpful. And now I'm in a position to offer that help and support. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's a really, a really a really cool way of kind of just introing that kind of dialogue um, mm-hmm. for those reasons. And then you mentioned the way in which um, you and your wife and the family like divvied up the the responsibilities <laughs> to to make it work, right? To care for mm-hmm. the, both of you. It's, it's interesting. It's such an interesting season where the boundaries get have to shift and get really flexible. Like there's never another time in my life where my mother-in-law has slept in our bedroom with each other, (laughs) with us, you know, Um, or, or, you know, (laughs) my father-in-law seeing me like take my shirt off, you know, to, to breastfeed, Mm -hmm. like just never other, never a time in our lives when that was happening. But that's what the season calls for um, is Mm -hmm. this transition into this new family life stage really asks for, calls for this kind of flexibility um, and an openness to, you know, nap, you know, it's one of the reasons why I love the season so much is because it really does call for us to like kind of put everything on the table. Like what, what am I used to doing? Like what, what are things now? It feels like all my pieces are on the floor and we kind of start to intentionally put them, put them back together. And I think that that's a really beautiful time for us to do that because it feels that feels so vulnerable, but you had, mm. you had that support, um, and for you and for your wife, and there was in the nighttime parenting was a big portion of that support to help both of you get restorative rest. And mm-hmm. restorative rest is life giving. Um, it mm-hmm. supports healing. It supports our mental health. It supports our ability to communicate in our relationships our immunity. There's so many reasons why we need that restorative rest during, during all, always, mm-hmm. but especially during this season. And then you kind of named here that not everybody has family close by. I'm, I, I'm already devastated. I don't even know the data. But I'm already devastated at what the impact of the pandemic has had on yeah. new, on, on families who are making this transition over the last two years, um, mm-hmm. who just, not only didn't have the access to the support in person um, or in the home, um, but also just was navigating all the fear, right, that Mm -hmm. has happened over the last couple of years. But you're naming here that 
whatever your situation is, first being able to kind of own and acknowledge that you have needs and that you deserve and are worthy. You don't have to do anything to earn that, but like that you deserve support during this season that is really hard. Um, and mm-hmm. in which if we're just using sleep as an example, like sleep is going to be challenged to first allowing yourself to have needs, right? If And see where mm-hmm. that settles. If there's a part of you that's like, mm, that doesn't even feel good to let myself acknowledge that I have these needs, I start to feel shame or guilt or then that might be an indicator of like of actually support being needed to kind of you know mm-hmm. acknowledge that and, yeah. and and be able to be able to work through some of that because you have to acknowledge that you have needs and it's okay to have needs and then to cr- be able to look out at what kind of resources do I have around me that I can access um, maybe I don't have mm-hmm. family close by maybe that family is willing to provide some financial support to say hire a nighttime doula or um, a, a sleep a sleep support person who feels aligned with like how we're hoping to you know navigate um, baby sleep. Um, maybe it's a friend, right, who actually is just waiting in the wings and would love would feel really great about having a way that they could show up and support you. Um, and you're holding back because you, you don't want to put anyone out. But that actually this is going to allow you to better sh- – to show up in a way that's going to feel better um, yeah. and is going to actually give be very meaningful to them as well. Um, yeah, well, so just kind of – too, I think, shows up, you know, even as, as we're reflecting on it is I've never encountered a topic – in politics that people have more visceral opinions over than birth like like, yeah like if you think if you think like the poll like the political divide is is intense (laughs) like when you start getting into like sleep schedules and and uh whether you're like breastfeeding or not and like all this stuff oh my gosh people have like yeah just are are huge advocates for their position but well Mm -hmm. because it matters so much like it's our little vulnerable baby and so of course we're gonna it, it's so important. It's it's as intense as it is important. And one thing that might, you know, have people kind of holding back from trying to reach out to support is I'm really scared of the judgment that people are going to make mm-hmm. that I co-sleep, really scared of the mm-hmm. judgment that people are going to make that I chose not to breastfeed or yeah. that I'm having trouble breastfeeding and I'm using, like, yeah. you know, like a plastic nipple or like I'm, I'm worried about the vulnerability of, like you said, like just having my shirt off and being in the living room and just feeding my baby and, and yeah. who's around and who's in my house. Like I'm, I'm uh, I'm nervous about what they're going to think that I'm not doing the sleep schedule, uh, what they're going to think mm-hmm. about this, that, and the other thing. If I'm prepared enough, how messy my house is, just seeing me in a vulnerable place, like, yeah, oh, it's such an, and like you said, when you're like, oh, I've never experienced the vulnerability. I think that's so spot on. And in that, I would mm-hmm. say like, there might be a space where you can flexibly and warmly come near people, even who have disagreements about what they think you mm-hmm. should be doing, and as you assess the safety of those relationships, being able to mm-hmm. talk about some of that stuff mm-hmm. in appropriate ways of, Hey, like, I know that this is a conviction of mine. And I know that you've talked about how you do that differently. And then, and I guess I'm just like, um, worried that you would, you would think less of me for this reason or that. Mm. Like, I know that you wouldn't, but I just wanted to almost like acknowledge it and name it and just kind of have a conversation, not so much to get in a debate over which one's right, but, but like, um, I could really use your support in this way. And I'm going about this, and or this particular like co-sleeping or something and yeah 
I don't know. How do you feel about that? And mm. and maybe that's a conversation you want to have directly. Maybe not. Maybe it's this act of bravery for you is welcoming them in and being able to hold the space that they might form some judgments about what you're doing, mm. but that's still okay. That they, that doesn't actually impose a burden on you to have to appease and um, mm. placate to other people's opinions about your stuff there, that you can almost just hold that space knowing that like, yeah. I trust in this relationship is sturdy enough to wade through that. I trust that I'm sturdy enough to wade through that. Um, I don't know what, mm. what comes up for you. Is yeah. That when I kind of hear that, I think that, you know, when we're, I oftentimes know if I'm working with someone who's expecting, I'm like, it's great if we can do some of this work beforehand, like identify like a postpartum point person that's going to be checking in on you that you can like, you know, but also taking stock of the relationships you have in your life. And, you know, when you think about these different people, there are maybe certain relationships where you really hope and wish and want for them to show up for you in a certain way and to have that kind of relational safety where you can have these conversations and invite them in. And and then you, there's that part of you that might know history has shown me and my body is telling me it's actually not that way with mm-hmm. this person. And when we take stock and we identify the, the different relationships we have in our different support circles, like who's Who's in the really the really tight inner circle, and and then who's who's also a part of our sort of you know our life, but might not necessarily be able to show up in the way that I wish that they would, or that they might want to. To take a moment to go through this list of people and actually ask ourselves, like, what can this person? How can this person show up for us in a way that's actually going to during these during this really vulnerable season feel supportive? right? But also feel good. Like it's going to help and and not and not just add more stress to what can already be a stressful season. And so sometimes there's that one person that you really, you really would love it if they were the one that could show up for you in the home and help take care of the house and the baby and be there at night. But it's just not someone that you think can do that you know, or or they're not going to offer, or if they did, it actually wouldn't be so supportive. Maybe that's someone that you communicate directly with, you know, here's something that I think would be really helpful. Maybe this is someone, you know, who makes a really great casserole. And you're like, I think that meals are going to be so important to us. And this would be such a really um, great way for you to be a part of, you know, this season for us. And then identifying, you know, once I, 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 I honor that, I might be able to then open up to like the people that are, have been waiting in the wings who mm-hmm. can show up for us in those ways, right? That we can have mm-hmm. those conversations with, that um, we can be in our in the mess, <laughs> in the vulner in the vulnerability, and they can hold space for that. And um, taking stock of those relationships, like like actually, like piece of paper, like who are the people in our lives? Maybe we do this mm-hmm. together. You know, if you're if you're partnered and we have a conversation about, you know, the different people in our support system and what some of the boundaries might look like, but also some of the conversations that we want to have and the different ways that these different people can support us um, could be really protective, you know, up mm-hmm. in the before, before you're in it, or if you're already like in it, like let's no better time than now. Like let's, let's activate mm-hmm. that support system in a way that's actually going to be supportive to both of you right now. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that level of detail. Um, yeah, I, it's it's often not just letting someone all the way in or keeping them all the way out. It's these levels of uh, detail of maybe you're the person who can support me with some food. Maybe you're someone I could ask to help me with some cleaning. Maybe you're someone who could walk my dog. Maybe you're someone um, who could come and help me with the sleep routine. Maybe And like you said, sometimes there's these people on the outskirts that maybe mm-hmm. we bring in a step closer. Maybe there's mm-hmm. people that we want to be in the inner circle that actually we know in our gut aren't the ones we should be going to, even though mm-hmm. if they would just blank, then it would be so great. Yes. Yeah, it's so good. Mm-hmm. That level of sophistication is it's really powerful. Matthias, thank you so much for taking the time and having this conversation. Um, really, really appreciated getting a chance to spend the past hour with you and just diving into this, um, zooming out, zooming in. It's it's all been it's all been so good. Thank you. Where can people find you and your work so they can continue to connect with you? Yeah, well, um, I have a podcast, the Matthias J. Barker Podcast. Um, that's, that's a good spot. Um, I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Matthias J. Barker. And then, um, yeah, I have a couples workshop as well. So, I mean, if it was, if it's something you think about, like, I'd like to start to kind of unpack that conflict, that shoulder to shoulder stuff that we were talking about earlier. That's, that's something actually that I cover within my workshop. And so that could be cool as well at MatthiasJBarker.com. Yeah, I will things. share links, all this in the show notes. And I'm just realizing right now, I've been calling you Matthias. That's the most normal thing. This is part of the digital connections, right? Is like, yeah. I mean, yeah. your name was different in my head. And like, I just, yeah. ascri- I just gave, I just gave you that name because that's what it was in my head. And I should have, mm-hmm. I should have checked in. No, <laughs> so now, now I know. First days of school are always fun. I always heard some very interesting <laughs> attempts. That was that was not bad at all. Matthias is, is very intuitive. Um, the Germans tell me actually that I'm pronouncing my name wrong. That that's actually the correct uh, pronunciation. And my mother got it wrong by calling me Matthias. <laughs> Your mother yeah. got it wrong. I don't know. Well, it's, it's rude, I'm a... but in a very kind of German way that those Germans <laughs> they can say that very offhand, and it's not offensive for some reason. I just kind of take it. You just take so technically it, yeah. you're right. I'm wrong. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Perfect. I'll take that. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to know when future episodes air. And go and explore some of those past episodes. Maybe there's a topic in there that you've really been wanting to learn more about. You can learn more about my private practice as well as my parenting courses and workshops at the link in the show notes. You held space for yourself today. You carved out the time and you tuned into this episode. I hope you take a moment to honor how meaningful that is. Yes, to me for sure, but also for you. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.